Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above the level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. The topic, the title of today's uh, Bible studies, your promotion is tied to how you treat the people in your life. Now, just looking at that, the surface of that, you might think, well, that's, that's not fair. Okay. That's not fair. Why should my destiny, you know, <laughs> be tied to the way I treat other people? Why shouldn't it just be about me? But the truth of the matter is, as I said in my introduction, that God is not going to physically come down. Okay, he's not going to come down and get a job in your company so that you can get that promotion. He's not going to come down and drag a suitcase full of money and then hand it to you so that you can pay your bills. He's not going to do any of that. God uses people. He uses people. If we even think about Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he gave us the authority. So he, the Bible says that God gave him a name that is above all names, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. And then he said, go therefore. So he gave us that authority. Jesus is not going to come down again and lay hands on people to heal the sick. He's not going to come down and literally sit down and counsel you and your husband into the beautiful marriage that he wants for you. He uses people. And the sooner we realize that and we begin to treat the people that God has placed in our lives the right way, then the quicker we'll be able to enter into what God has for us. All right, so there's my introduction, and today's Bible hero, (laughs) I don't think anyone, honestly, would have been able to guess this. I was saying to someone earlier that I asked my husband, I told him the title, and I said, can you guess? (laughs) And he was all sorts, all sorts, um, because it's not obvious. And remember, my promise to you is, during this Bible studies, it's going to be people, characters that you would not necessarily have given the time of day. Uh, we may eventually come to do some of the big names and some of the people that you know had prominence in the Bible, but I want to inspire us, you know, to get into the Bible, to see the Bible as the most exciting book that you could possibly read. So that's my um, motivation for doing this Bible study and for us also to take from them and the lessons that we can apply practically to our own lives so that we can keep moving forward. So today's Bible hero is, da, 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 <laughs> is James, the brother of Jesus. And like James, yes, James, the brother of Jesus. Now, James was mentioned probably a few times and obviously he wrote the book of James in the Bible. But he, you know, he didn't, he didn't start off prominent in the church. And wait, I don't want to give it away. So I'm going to go step by step to show you, um, how James initially uh, interacted with Jesus. Now, before we go into that, let me, I like to paint pictures. So when I'm reading the Bible, I like to, um, 
engage my mind and my imagination and to think, you know, and to try and put myself in the shoes of all these characters and to think, how do they feel? You know, why did they do what they did? You know, that's, that's how you bring the Bible alive. That's how you bring it alive. When you're reading the Bible, one of the ways to make it exciting is to ask questions. You know, you already think those questions anyway. <laughs> why not just ask? So back to James. I want to paint a little bit of the background regarding this person. So he was the Jesus' little brother. Now, now think about this. Think about this. He probably was the one, because um, in, in, when the Bible talked about um, me, he said, do we not know his brothers? And then it says James and so on. So it's likely, I'm not sure, that he was the one that was immediately after Jesus. So he was probably the second born or the first son of Joseph, quote unquote. Now imagine this. You grew up in a house with an elder brother and a lot of us have siblings. Now imagine how confusing and highly frustrating that must have been for James. Okay. Why? Because Jesus never put a foot wrong. He didn't sin. The Bible says he didn't sin. He was God. The Bible says that, you know, he, he was filled with wisdom. So from the time he could talk, he was giving everybody answers and said, go and do this and people would do it and it would work out. He was filled with wisdom and the Bible says that he grew. So his development was perfect. He didn't, he probably didn't have pimples. You know, he probably didn't have all these things that his brothers, that James and the other brothers and sisters would have encountered living in the child with him. So imagine living up, living with this perfect human being who is also God. You know, try to think about it. This is my brother, all right? He's my older brother, but he's also God. That must have been very, very confusing. And attached to that is, think about the bitterness and the resentment that must have come with that. Because it wasn't just the fact that Jesus was God. His parents also knew that he was God. No, think about the dynamics of how Mary would have related with Jesus. Because Mary knew this is my Lord and my Savior, all right? He's my son, but he's also God. Mary knew that more than anyone else on the face of the earth. So how would she have raised Jesus? Surely there must have been a difference in the way that she raised Jesus compared to the way that she raised the other ones. Because imagine, you know, think about it. Imagine if your son... It's also God. How how do you how do you you know do you spank him? Do you you know? So it obviously would have been very different in the way that he was raised. Like J- J- Joseph raised him, and James and the others are standing here and they're observing all of this. They're observing all of this. And how do I know this? So let, let's look into the Bible. So the first scripture that we're going to read today is from John. So how do I know that there was some kind of resentment, some kind of a business, you know, from James and the other brothers. It doesn't specifically mention James, but it says the brothers towards Jesus. Here's the scripture. So James, sorry, John 7, 1 to 5. So John chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. So it's after this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, Live here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hang, if you hide here like this. If you can do such wonderful things, look at the language. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. 
He now says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. So because we're focusing on James today, says we could read it this way, for James didn't believe in him. So basically what he was saying, oh, you, you're doing all these wonderful things. He wasn't saying it like um, to praise Jesus, to acknowledge his lordship. He was saying, I say, oh, look at you, you know how he say, you move? what do you think you can do? <laughs> so he said, you are God. Why don't you show yourself? The same way they taunted Jesus and said, oh, why don't you come down from the cross? That's what James was doing there, right? That's exactly what James was. So he had despised, Jesus was despised in his eyes. Why? Because he had grown up with him. He had become familiar with him, okay? As much as he wanted to believe that Jesus was the son of God and the Messiah, he had seen too much, all right? And he had experienced too much as his younger brother, to really accord him that respect. So he said, he didn't believe. So James, someone that was so close to you, imagine some of us wish, oh, Jesus should just appear to me. I wish I could live in the same house with Jesus. Don't, don't be so quick to wish for that. Because even if you think about the disciples, I believe that one of the reasons why the church didn't really explode is because they were so close to Jesus. They were too, so they saw everything. They saw him. Um, in his humanity. They saw Jesus in his humanity. They saw him in his humanity and Jesus said, this is better for you that I go away. And you notice that when he went away and he was resurrected, he was no longer, oh, Jesus. It was Lord. When John saw Jesus's resur- Jesus after his resurrection for the first time, the Bible says in Revelations, he fell down as dead. He fell down and he worshipped. You know, this was John that was putting his head <laughs> On Jesus' chest and just being very familiar with Jesus, right? But when he was resurrected, when he displayed himself in his fullness, they were like, oh, are you serious? So when they saw him, there was something different about the way they related with him. And my husband said this actually, and, you know, it's very true. He said maybe the reason why Paul actually went as far as he did was because he never met Jesus when he was on earth. He didn't hang around with him. He's the only apostle that only ever met Jesus after the resurrection. And we, we all know that story about how it happened. So he was always in awe of Jesus. So what am I saying here? As much as James would have wanted to believe, right, that, oh, Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah. Because he was familiar, he had become familiar with Jesus, he really could not access it. So the first lesson that I wanted to share with you today is this, right? Your miracle, your miracle, so whatever that is to you, your promotion, your increase, the peace in your marriage, whatever it is, the wisdom to raise your children, it will usually not come in a package that you're expecting. That's my first lesson. Your miracle will not come in a package that you're expecting. So the way, you know, some, sometimes we, we tend to dismiss. And, you know, another good example of this is someone mentioned, I think it was Lamine, that mentioned Naaman on the group today. She said Naaman and um, his servant. So if Naaman had looked at his, you know, girl servant and said, what do you know? <laughs> Go and sit down. He would have missed his miracle. Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in a, maybe they would have, 
even the Pharisees, maybe they would have accepted Jesus if he had come in all his pomp and pageantry, if he had been like them, because the Bible talks about how they like to display themselves and so on. They were very proud. They were very showy. But because Jesus didn't come the way they were expecting, they despised him. They despised him. So the lesson one, first thing is your miracle will not come in a package that you expected. And if we're not careful, if we're thinking it's going to happen this way or it's going to come through this person. And when it tries, when God tries to bring it a different way or not just people now, a different method, you might despise it and say, what's this? This is common. Everybody's doing this or whatever. Oh, this doesn't make sense. It is very, very easy to despise what God might be wanting to do if we already have a preconceived idea of how it should happen or how the person that God has sent to bless you should look. So, for example, you might think, oh, um, this person cannot really teach me the word or cannot prophesy to me if they're not a pastor or whatever it is. Do you understand what I mean? So that's the first lesson. Your miracle will not come in a package that you're expecting. It is very, very unlikely that it will come in a package that you're expecting. So in order for us not to become so fixated on one way or one relationship or one person, all right, that we miss out on what God is trying to do. All right, so let's move on. The next thing is, so we see James. <laughs> James, um, the Pharisees, all these people, they were not expecting the Messiah. Imagine, you know, so-called your Messiah, you know, you... I don't know, maybe as children, maybe they bathed together. You know, they sat on the floor and ate together. They were carpenters together. How is that supposed to be your Messiah? For those of us that are married, you know how you you esteemed that man <laughs> before you married him? Okay, sisters in the house. He was like, oh, man of God, he's this, he's that. And then after you have lived with him, for how long? Let's be real. We're like, ah, Jesus. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to, you know, talk about this in more depth later on. But here's what I'm saying. So what is the consequence when we don't recognize, when we don't acknowledge the people that God has positioned in our lives? And it could be, if, you know, let's use the example of work. Someone is, you know, trying to teach you something and you think, oh, what do you know? What do you know? No, you know, it's better this way. You're never really open to, you're never really open to what they have to say. So what is the consequence of that? Because they despised Jesus. Okay. James despised him very clearly. All right. He did. Well, I've just read you the scripture. What was the consequence of that? What was the consequence? And to be honest with you, the reason why I'm trying to paint this background and this back pictures is it is very easy to do. Based on the picture that I just painted you of how James grew up with Jesus, saw everything about him, right? It is very easy to do. Familiarity is so easy. When we despise, when we belittle someone, right? So what was the consequence of that? I'm going to read Matthew 13, 54 to 58. So we're going to see a very clear indication of consequence when we despise the people that God himself has sent to us, brought into our lives to help us. Okay. All right. Let's read that. So Matthew 13, 54 to 58. And says, when Jesus arrived in his hometown of Nazareth, 
he began teaching the people in the synagogue. Everyone was dazed, overwhelmed with astonishment over the depth of revelation they were hearing. Now, that's the first thing I wanted to point out. So when, when at first it came, they were like, wow, what is this? What kind of revelation? So something, something pricked in their hearts. They were like, this, this is what I'm supposed to be hearing. Do you understand what I mean? So someone that brought you an idea at work, you're like, wow, that sounds like a good idea. But there's something else that kicks in. Another thought becomes introduced that begins to say, it may sound like a good idea, but who is this person really? What is their track record? How many projects have they succeeded at? What have they really done that day, you know, that gives them the authority to be able to tell me these things? All right? And that's exactly what happened. So it says that they were dazed. They were overwhelmed with astonishment at the death of the revelation that Jesus was teaching them. Then they said to one another, where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers? Isn't he just the woodworker's son? Isn't he just the carpenter's son? Isn't he just the carpenter's son? <laughs> Have you ever had your child give you an idea? You're like, mm. and then you find out later on that, ooh, that, you know, that child was actually right. That's what I mean. Because guess what? God speaks through children too. He speaks through children. <laughs> he speaks through enemies. He speaks through people that are, quote and unquote, lower than us. God can use anyone. God used the donkey for Balaam or Balak. I always mix up the names. One of them. <laughs> All right. So he says, isn't he just a capital son? Isn't his mother named Mary and his four brothers, um, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judah, and don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? How did he get this revelation and power? So they're like, how could you possibly know what you're talking? You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, right? You don't. You can't know what you're talking because I have, you know, as we say, you know, in Nigeria, I say I've seen you finish. Okay, so I I know everything about you. I I know what you're capable of. I know what you're capable of. So you couldn't possibly be the one that's able to teach me. No, I, I know more than you. You can't teach me. I should be the one teaching you. Right. So they said, and the people became offended. They became, so familiarity breeds offense. Familiarity breeds offense. They became offended and began to turn against him. And Jesus said, there's only one place a prophet is now not, and that is his own hometown. And what is the consequence? So the question I asked at the beginning of this section, as I begin to introduce this in two years, what is the consequence when we despise the relationships that God wants to use in our lives to elevate us? This is the consequence. And says, and their great unbelief kept Jesus from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth, in that hometown. So everywhere else, Jesus was like getting results, you know, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, the deaf. And, but he says he couldn't do any great works, any great miracles in there. Why? Because even though in the beginning, as he was speaking, they were like, oh, this is what I need. But then that voice kicked in and said, who is this person to be talking to me? Who is this person to be giving me suggestions? I know everything about you. I know more than you. And because they accepted that thought, they missed out on what God wanted to do. They despised him. They became offended at Jesus. They became offended at Jesus. And as a result of that, they missed out on what God wanted to do. I'm going to read another scripture. 
Um, this is Matthew 23, 37 to 39. And this relates to Jesus again. There are loads of examples all over the Bible. But I wanted to concentrate um, on Jesus and his relationship with James. All right, so Matthew 23, 37 to 39. And this was Jesus speaking, and he was grieved. He was grieved so when he was about to enter into Jerusalem. And he looked at the city, and, you know, the Bible says that his heart, almost as if he was heartbroken. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. All right, for us, we may not literally be killing people physically. We can be stoning them with our words, with our attitudes, with our attitudes. God wants to use somebody to lift you up, but you think, oh, what do they know? <laughs> what do they know? They're gonna, we've been long in this matter. They're new, so they can't really know, and they don't have anything to teach me. Hmm. said, how often I want us to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Why? Why were they not willing? Because they despised that relationship. It says, see, your house is now left desolate. So when, when you see people, when we're, you know, when God brings somebody into your life, and this is going to lead into the second lesson, everyone in your life that God has placed there has a purpose. They have a purpose there. Regardless of how you see them, there's a purpose, there's a role that God has sent them to fulfill in your life. There's a role that God has sent them to. Even, in fact, the, the ones that are even closest, in fact, the closer a relationship is to you, the easier it is for you to miss the purpose for which God sent that person to fulfill in your life. Because we despise or we have grown to know. Why? Because we're all humans. Everyone has, um, you know, a, a, a humanity side. We have humanity side to us, right? Nobody's perfect. We all have weaknesses. We all have flaws. We all have ridiculous things that we do, right? So when we become exposed to that, it is very easy to despise our relationship and forget the fact that if this person in my, is in my life, and if there are people in your life that should not be there, the Bible says that whatever tree my father has not planted would be torn up by the roots. So you have a promise there to uproot those people. But I'm talking about the people that God has legitimately placed and planted in your life. When you misinterpret the value, sorry, the role that person was sent to play in your life, you will not unlock the rewards or the value of that relationship. Now, he said, your house is desolate. So Jesus was talking about Jerusalem. He said, you are, it's desolate. It's supposed to be filled with riches, right? So there are riches that God has planted in every relationship in our life that those relationships are meant to deliver to us, right? Relationships planted by God are vehicles. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man's countenance sharpens his friend. So God plants relationships in our lives as vehicles, right, to deliver riches to us. But do you know what happens? When we despise those relationships, then our houses become desolate. So we don't partake of those riches. It is empty. It says, your house is left desolate to you. For I say to you, now this it says, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is going to bring me to lesson two. So Jesus stood in front of the city Jerusalem and he said, you have despised.
despise me. You have despised everyone that God has sent you. You're trying to bring his riches into your lives. As a result of that, you have nothing. You are desolate. You think you know, but you don't know. You think you are elevated, but you're actually humbled. That's what Jesus was saying to Jerusalem. And he's now said, until you acknowledge the value that God has placed in this relationship, you will not see me. You will not partake of the, of the rewards of that relationship. Now, what is my lesson to? My lesson to is this. Until you honor the role God has sent someone to play in your life, you will not unlock the value in that relationship. Let me repeat that. Until you honor the role God has sent someone to play in your life, you will not unlock the value in that relationship. So if James, for example, we look at James and we think James, James was Jesus's brother legitimately, right? But he was not placed in Jesus's life merely to be his brother. He was placed there as the, as you know, Jesus was placed in James's life as the Messiah. He was placed as the Messiah. And for as long as he only saw himself as Jesus's brother, he did not enter the kingdom. And I'm going to show you that from the scriptures later on, as we round up later on. He could not enter the kingdom because all he saw was, isn't this Jesus my brother? The same way the people of Nazareth did not enter the kingdom because isn't this Jesus? We saw, we saw him running around, you know, in his underwear, um, and all that as a, as a tiny child. How dare you come and teach us? We doctors of the law. We have been studying this law for as long as we've lived. We're, you know, twice your age. You're only 30. What do you know? And as a result of that, they didn't access what God wanted to deliver to them via the, you know, the vehicle of that relationship. So until you honor the role God has sent someone to play in your life, you will not unlock the value in that relationship. And I said I was going to give a couple of examples. So the first one is marriage. I found that marriage is probably one of the easiest ways where we can um, miss out on what God wants to do. Because marriage, you can't be closer to anyone any human being other than in marriage. Bible says you become one. You become one flesh. You know the person inside out. You know all their strengths. You know all their weaknesses. You know everything about them. You have seen them finish. <laughs> so because of that, it is so easy to despise our spouses. It's so easy to despise them. I'll give you my own example. So my my husband, you know, he was my pastor. <laughs> so he was first my pastor. I was like, ah, oh, my pastor. And then he became my husband. We got married. And <laughs> do you know? And you know, I'm very open about this. I don't I don't try to pull any wool over people's faces regarding marriage and say, oh, someone asked me the other day, a friend of mine um, asked me the other day, and we're talking about marriage, and she said, you know, how's your how's your you know how's marriage going? I said. Well, let me put it this way. In the last, so I've been married about three and a half years. And I said, in the last two years, it has been awesome, beautiful, <laughs> all right? We still have our issues, you know, that every now and then you, you rub. The Bible says that as a man, you know, as iron sharpens iron. So you still rub against each other. But that's how God has orchestrated us to grow, all right? But the first few months, oh, my goodness. For someone, you know, for me, I had become established in a way. I set 
set in my ways beyond anything you can imagine because i had i had grown you know i you know i had raised the child you know i well, was raising the child did well in my career i didn't have to ask anybody for permission to do anything if i wanted to just drop everything and travel and take my child i could do it do you understand that so you know coming into an environment where you now begin to see someone and for me it was unique because he was first my pastor and obviously as if i wasn't close to him as my pastor i just you know from my father i received the word and i'm blessed and then this person that was your pastor now becomes your husband I, <laughs> it was tough it was tough to start with you know but thank god the lord helped me through it and one of the things we're going to be doing in a series um, I'm going to I'm going to bring my husband on, and we're going to talk about resolving conflicts. So we're going to talk about intimacy in marriage in the interview sessions that we're doing, which you know probably will be early next year, now January, um, because of there's a lot of things going on at the moment. But what am I saying? I learned a lesson, right? That so my husband asked me one time, and he said, "How are you you know recently actually uh, maybe last year said, how are you able to see me as my as your pastor and honor me as a pastor and you know and still have you know a good relationship with me as your husband and i laughed i said ah it's the holy spirit <laughs> it's god you know i had to literally you know i have to see him you know as i have to see him in those roles if you understand what i mean so i have to literally be able to train my mind i say in this role He's my pastor. He's not my husband. So when he's preaching the word, I have to detach myself and say, you know, like James, you know, James, let's say James happened to hear Jesus teaching. I'm like, oh, what, what is he talking about? I have to detach and say, this is my pastor. This is the person that God has sent to deliver a word to me. And that's how I engage with that word. And that's how I receive that word. Not my husband is trying to teach me, right? It, on Sunday, I, ha- I literally see him as an oracle of God. He's speaking as an oracle of God. Do you, do you understand what I mean? And at the same time, when he's my husband, he's my husband. All right? When we're at home, I don't call him Passover. <laughs> I don't call him pastor at home. But in church, when we're outside, when we're in church, I honor him. I call him pastor. But at home, I don't call him pastor because at home, he's my husband. All right? So you see what I mean? So it's being able to identify the different roles that people have been sent to play in our lives because it is very very easy to despise these relationships when we don't rightly divide the role and one person different roles that god has positioned somebody to play in our lives so the second example i'm going to give you also is from my own life so essentially um, this all back when I was, um, teaching. So I was in, uh, I was a teacher in secondary schools. And I remember, I've shared this story before. Probably the, I think it was the first, as soon as I got qualified and got my, I started teaching. Um, and I was in my second year. So I had just completed my first year of teaching. I was in my second year. And there was somebody in my department, you know, that was, that was, you know, she was in her first year. And we were both doing very well in the department and then an opportunity came for middle management role so it was advertised and literally for the fact that we were even being considered meant that we were doing well because we had literally just started our career 
And then they were saying, well, come and become um, a middle manager. And that was really, usually on average, it would take maybe three to five years, five years for people to make that jump. So essentially, so I was like, ah, you know, I, I was very confident. <laughs> I was like, yes, you know, I can do it. Um, everyone knows, you know, I've been doing very well. People have been coming to give me feedback and telling me all these things and so on. And there was only one role, okay? And two of us were going for it and other people, obviously. But it was, it was clear that we, the two of us were like, you know, in, in the, in the running for it. So I was confident. I was like, number one, I, I have more experience because I'm in my second year of teaching. She's just in her first year. Number two, I believe, you know, I, I get more results, uh, with the kids, with the exam results and so on. So I began to list all these reasons. All these reasons why it should be me, not to people. Okay, I wouldn't do that, but to myself. I began to reason in my own mind as in, it's because of one, two, three, four, five, they will pick me over her. And obviously, you know where this story is heading, right? Because they didn't, they didn't, I wasn't even shortlisted for interview. <laughs> so I put my application in and I was not even shortlisted. So this other person, she got the job. I said she was shortlisted. People they were raving about her. She was exceptional at the interview. And when I heard the news, I, my first reaction was I wanted to quit. I was going to hand in my resignation. I was offended. Do you know why I was offended? It wasn't, if it was somebody that was like in their fifth year that got the job, I would have been like, oh, okay, maybe it's because I don't have the experience. The reason why I was offended is because I thought, ah, uh-uh. ah. But I'm better than this person. They can't do it. I'm the one that's supposed to be doing it. She has nothing and she would have been over me. Right? So she, the role would have directly placed her over me as my line manager. I'm like, what can she teach me? I'm the one that she has been coming to to help her. So what could she possibly know that I don't already know? What does she know that I haven't even told her? So these were the thoughts that were running through my mind. I was thinking she she can't she you know she, she's not qualified. I'm much more qualified. I'm the one that should be line managing her and so on. And this was the way I was thinking. This was what I was thinking. And then I, I went to God later on and I was like, I was complaining. I was like, how could she, you know, how could she get promoted over me? I'm higher than her, I have more experience, etc. And I will never forget, this is where I began to learn this thing, not just at home, you know, um, I wasn't married then, but what I mean is in relationships outside of work. I began to learn this, that, look, actually, the Bible is very practical. It relates to work as well. So this is why I began to learn how to relate with people in the workplace. And God said to me, there is a reason why she was picked over you. It's because there's something she knows that you don't know, that you don't yet know. There is something she knows that you don't yet know. So if you humble yourself and allow and and acknowledge that I have placed you in this relationship for a reason. So the line manager relationship where this person has now become my boss said if you if you are angry and you stay angry, you will never ever learn that lesson. You will never ever guess what you're supposed to get from this relationship. You will never ever unlock the value that I have deposited in this relationship for you. You will be offended and you will stay there and your house will be desolate, like Jesus said to Jerusalem. It will be void of riches. But if you in if you if you look at that relationship and say, okay, she is my line manager and I have a lot to learn from her. If you begin to relate with her that way then you will see, 
you will begin to unlock the value that I have deposited in that relationship. So I said, okay. And I repented <laughs> and I said, that's what I'm going to do. So I began, I, I literally sat down and I adjusted my mind and I said, no, this is no longer this person that I was the one teaching how to do all these things. This is now a leader, right? The same way as soon as James was old enough to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, there should have been a shift in his thinking that this is no longer my brother. This is now Lord Jesus. Okay. He should have done that. And he did do that. And I'll come back, come back to that. So back to what I was saying. So I made that shift in my own mind and I began to relate to this person. I began to watch them and observe them and I began to help them. So whatever I could do to help them succeed, I did it. All right. There was no malice in my heart. I, you know, all that jealousy and resentment and envy and bitterness was all gone because I could now see that, okay, God is the one that planted this person in my life as my line manager. And I'm not going to miss out on what God wants to do through this relationship. And because of that, it was because I changed my mind and I began to relate with her. I learned so many things that it wasn't long before I became promoted as well. I became promoted. All right. So if I had chosen, if I had decided, no, she doesn't have anything she can teach me, which is what I, which was my initial reaction and be hostile to her as my line manager and say, no, 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 no. In every meeting when she makes a suggestion, I'll just say, no, 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 that can't work. I don't think that will work because, you know, and then you list 10 reasons why it can't work. Why? The reason why I would have been doing that is because I still saw her as someone that was inferior to me, as someone that I was teaching before she became my boss. All right. But I saw her as my boss. And as a result of that, um, I unlocked the value that God had deposited in that relationship for me. So that's what we're saying. So going back to James, it didn't end badly for James. In fact, it ended very well. Because the Bible says that James was in the upper room. So after he was crucified, he saw Jesus resurrected. So he, he would have been there because the same people that saw him um, when he was lifted up to heaven and all that were the same ones that were in the upper room because he told them to go to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. So when he finally saw, I said, oh my God, he really is the Messiah. <laughs> that was when his own shift and thank God, God gave him that opportunity. That was when his own shift took place as in, oh my God, that's my senior brother ascending to heaven. He really is God. So for the however long, uh, I don't know how old, how younger James was compared to Jesus for the sake of this teaching. Let's say he was one year younger than Jesus, right? For the 32 years that he lived with Jesus as his brother, he missed out who knows how far he could have gone? But God is a God of mercy. God is a God of restoration. So he was in the upper room. The Bible says that Mary and the brothers of Jesus, so he was there. And do you know, he went on to become the head of the church in Jerusalem. So not only did he become a proper disciple and he had ignored Jesus completely, all right? The only mention that we have of G James and the brothers going to listen to Jesus' sermon or being around his crusades was when they even showed up and said, go and tell him we're here. <laughs> when the Bible says they brought the message to Jesus and say, your brother and your, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus just said, no, it's the ones that are here that are my brothers and my mothers and my sisters and so on. 
So he, he never engaged with Jesus as the Lord, as his Lord or his Messiah until after he was resurrected and he saw him being lifted up to heaven and ascended. And because of that, he now made the adjustment. So it wasn't just, oh, my brother is dead. It wasn't just, oh, my, my older brother is now my Lord and my Savior. And how do I know this? In James, so James wrote the book of James. And in James chapter 1 and verse 1, look at how he refers to Jesus. He said, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, said a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says a bond servant. He didn't say, Jesus, my senior brother. Jesus, the one, you know, that I annoyed as a child. Jesus, the one that I saw in his humanity. No, 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 no. This was a completely different ballgame. He said, my Lord Jesus Christ. I am a bond servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, he entered into his inheritance. He entered into his ministry. He unlocked the valley in that relation. Because we pray to God in the name of Jesus. Imagine James praying to God. <laughs> no, let's, let's engage our imagination. So let's say your senior brother is God. You have to pray to God as in the role of Jesus. You have to pray to God in the name of your senior brother. That's a massive shift in mentality. Say, Father, my brother, my son brother's name is Ade, right? So, Father, in the name of Ade, with Ade, how can I be praying to God in the name of Ade? That what? Do you understand? Do you see what I mean? So, for him to be able to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, the Jesus that I grew up with, Jesus, Jesus that was my brother, for him to have done that, he would have really entered into a place where his mind was renewed and he only saw Jesus as his Lord, as he said. And because of that, he entered into his ministry. He became prominent in the ministry. He wasn't just somebody that was nameless. He became the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he entered into his inheritance. Why? Because he had gotten to the point where he finally was able to recognize and acknowledge and honor who Jesus had sent, um, whom um, Jesus had been sent to fulfill the role that Jesus had been sent to fulfill in his life. So that is the end of my teaching today. Um, I hope everyone has been blessed by that. I hope that has blessed you. Hey, before you go, do me a favor. If you've enjoyed today's podcast or any of the ones that you've listened to, can you please share with friends, family and colleagues? Thanks.